In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is answering a common objection to the gospel of grace. Here is the objection. Paul's gospel promotes sin. This is what many people argued when they heard Paul preach the good news of the gospel. They would argue that Paul's gospel promotes sin. Because if justification is a gift received by faith apart from your works, then obeying God is not necessary in any way. I mean, why would you obey God? If, if your obedience to God is not part of your justification, if it's not part of your salvation, why would you obey God? More than that, they argued that if justification is a gift, then we are free to sin. We don't stand by our righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, we are free to sin. Romans 5.20 says, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. They would argue that the more we sin, the more grace we receive and the more glory God gets. So it's a win-win-win-win situation. We get to enjoy sin. We get to do what we want. We get to have a right relationship with God. We get to go to heaven and God is glorified by our sin. So let us continue in sin that grace may abound. Now how does Paul respond to this question, to this objection? Well, we're going to be looking at his response in chapter 6, 7, and Eight. And this morning, I want to focus in on the question, how do we fight sin and live righteously in a fallen world? Uh, what Paul is going to argue is that justification by grace is the only way to fight sin. That there is no ability to fight sin unless we are justified by the grace of God. So rather than promoting sin, the path to a righteous life that honors God comes through justification by grace alone. And as Christians, we still face sin every day of our lives. Uh, we live in a sinful world. The world has always been sinful since Adam and Eve. And the worst part of living in a sinful world is dealing with our own sinful hearts. It's not necessarily what the demons and the devil are doing in the world. That's bad and that's terrible. It's not necessarily what other people are doing, which is often very sinful. The worst part of living in a fallen world is dealing with our own flesh, contending with our own sin nature. And Paul is going to move us towards a life of righteousness that is rooted in the grace of God. And so how do we change? How do we grow? How do we live a righteous life in a fallen world? Well, number one, you need to embrace who you are in Christ. You need to embrace who you are in Christ. This is what Paul is leading the Romans to do, to embrace who they are in Christ. I'm not saying you should embrace who you are in sin or in Adam. Rather, I'm saying you need to embrace the new life that we have in Christ. That in Christ, we are dead to sin, but alive to God. Verse 1, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is a statement about our identity in Christ. Paul is not telling us what to do in verse 2. He's not giving us a command. He doesn't say, you need to die to sin. That's not what he says. He's telling us who we are. And here's a principle you need to understand when you read the Apostle Paul. Here's the principle. The who comes before the do. The who comes before the do. Who you are determines what you do. Who you are determines how you live. We are to fight sin from our new identity in Christ that we have been made new in Christ. We have been studying the book of Romans since September. We are now in chapter 6. And can anyone tell me how many commands are in Romans chapter, chapters 1 through 5? Romans chapters 1 through 5, how many commands are in those chapters? Anyone know? Can someone tell me? What's the answer? Zero. There are no commands in Romans chapter, chapters 1 through 5. What Paul is teaching us here is what's wrong with us in 
Romans 1 through 5, he's teaching us what's wrong with us, our, our problem with sin and the nature of our salvation. He's explaining what Christ has done for us, how he has justified us uh, by his grace through his blood. And in chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is telling us who we are. He's simply explaining who we are in Christ. So who are we in Christ? Well, first, we are united with Christ in his death. To be a Christian is to be united with Christ in his death. Verse 2, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In Christ, we have died to sin. When I was in college, I, I used to love walking around Drake's campus. And I remember one time I was out on a walk and I saw these, there are a lot of big trees on campus. And I saw a squirrel running around the top of the tree. And it missed a branch, evidently, and it just fell probably 40 feet, 30 feet to the ground, and it went splat on the ground. And I wasn't far from it, so I walked right up to the squirrel. The squirrel was not moving. It was just, you know, it was laying there looking dead, so I started CPR on the squirrel just to give him a chance. Now, I didn't do that, but I, picked, I did pick him up. I picked him up by the tail. I don't recommend doing that, but it felt right in the moment. So I just picked him up by the tail, and I'm looking at him, and then he snapped back to life as I'm holding him. And he freaked out, and he ran away, and we, we both had a good scare in that moment. But my conclusion was that he did not die. He, he wasn't dead. He looked dead, but he was only stunned, likely concussed, but definitely not dead. Now, to be in Adam is to be alive to sin. To be in Christ is to be dead to sin. So if you're a Christian, you need to understand a little bit about who you are. To be in Christ, it doesn't mean that you're just annoyed with sin. It doesn't mean that you're taking a break from your sin for Lent. It doesn't mean that you feel like you're dead to sin. What it means is that you are dead to sin. You are dead. This does not mean that you won't be tempted by sin. We will be tempted by our sinful impulses. This doesn't mean that we won't sin. We will sin. From the time, from today until the day we see Christ, we will sin. There's no doubt about that. But what Paul is teaching us is that who we are in the presence of God is that we are dead to sin. Now, what does it mean to be united with Christ in death? What does it mean to be dead to sin and united with Christ in his death? Well, it means that your old life is over. To be a Christian means your old life of sin in slavery to sin is over. Romans 6, 2 through 11, I'm going to read a big chunk, and I think the main point, it will become very clear. Here we, here we go. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we died with Christ. That means our old life 
is over. To be a Christian is to be dead. Our old life of sin is over. We were crucified with Christ. Many people believe that the primary reason Jesus came into the world is is to improve our lives, to just make our lives a little bit better, to make us better at what we're already doing. Uh, Many people believe that Jesus came uh, to, to improve our own natural desires, that Jesus is the the cherry on top of our ice cream sundae, that he is the ketchup for our french fries. That's what he does. He just makes everything a little bit better. He is the secret sauce. But that is not true. That is not the case. When Jesus came into the world and he looked at your life, he said, you need to die. You need to die. Your old life, the old you, needs to die. And I'm not saying that you have no redeeming qualities as a human being created in the image of God. You, you do. But the old life of sin, all of it, needs to go away. It all needs to be done. And this is hard for us to accept. It's hard to accept that our old life needs to die because we love our lives. We love living the way we live. We want to be in control of our lives. And this is the primary reason people will not follow Christ. This is the primary, if you're not a Christian here this morning, this is the primary reason you won't give your life to Christ. It's because you don't want to give up your life. You want to hold on to your life. But Jesus says that old life, that life of sin needs to die. Ephesians 4.22, Paul says, take off, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. The old self is corrupted by sin and it leads to death. And so what does it mean To be united with Christ in his death, it means your old life is over. Secondly, it means you are set free from the power of sin. To be united with Christ in his death means that you are set free from the power of sin. Verse 6 says, We know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us. I love that description of, of the old man, the old life of sin. The old man, the old person, the old you dominates us. Paul goes on to say, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Uh, Our sinful nature, it dominates us and it enslaves us. Verse 7, for someone who has died has been set free from sin. And so why did you have to die? Why did you have to die in Christ? So that you could be set free. So that sin would no longer dominate us. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, let me ask you a question. Uh, Have you paid for your sins? If you're a Christian, have you paid your debt to God for your sins? Well, the answer is absolutely. Absolutely. You have paid for your sins. Where did you pay for your sins? Where did you pay for your sins? And when did you pay for your sins? Well, you paid for your sins in Christ. So just like you were in Adam when Adam sinned and therefore you sinned in Adam, so you were in Christ when Christ died and you died in Adam, that you died in him. So it is totally accurate to say that Jesus died that I might live. It is more accurate to say that Jesus died, that I might die, that I might live. See, his death is our death. This is what Paul's teaching us. You died in in Christ. You died in Christ at the cross. You died to sin. The The old you is dead. Now, before you get a new life, your old life has to die. If you want a new life, your old life has to has to go. You cannot hold on to your old life and walk in the new life that we have in Christ. And when Christ died to sin, when he died on the cross, he set us free from the power of sin in this life. This is what Paul's teaching us in verse six. 
For we know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For someone who has died has been freed from sin. This is such good news for our souls because this is what it means. It means you don't have to keep sinning. You don't have to keep sinning. You don't have to be addicted to your sins. By the grace of God, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. Uh, sometimes we think to ourselves, no, I do have to keep sinning. You know, there are these sins in our hearts, and our lives, two sins, three sins, four sins that are in control of us, and we just, after a while, we just give up. We just give up trying to fight against them. We think, no, I'm always going to be this way. But that's not true. That's a lie from the devil, that the power of sin has been broken through Christ. We died with him. We have been set free from sin. It's a beautiful thing. There is victory over sin in Christ. So don't believe the lie that the way you are now is the way you're always going to be. That the the, the sins you struggle with now, you're always going to struggle with them. That is a lie from the devil. That in Christ, there is new life available for us. So who are we in Christ? Well, we've been united with Christ in his death. Next, we have been united with Christ in his resurrection. We've been united with Christ in his resurrection. Verse 4, therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death. I love that phrase, that we've been buried with him by baptism into death. Why? Why were we buried? Why, why doesn't he just leave it at the cross? Why does he say we were crucified with him and we were buried with him? Why does he include the fact that we were buried with Christ? Well, when Jesus was on the cross, he was paying for our sins. It was our sin, it was our guilt, it was our shame that put Christ on the cross. And when Christ died, they took him down from the cross and they put him in the tomb. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. So Christ, he bore our sins on the cross, they put him in the tomb, three days later, he rose again. And when Jesus rose from the dead, did he rise with your sin? Did he he come up out of the grave with, with our sins? No, they're gone. So where are they? They were on the cross, they were on the cross with Jesus, they go into the tomb, he rose sinless, totally righteous. Where are they? Our sins are in the grave, never to be resurrected again. They're gone. Christ rose from the, from the dead, proving that the transaction, the payment for our sins was complete, that, that, that the payment had gone through in, in heaven, that God accepted the payment of his son, the death of his son for us. And Paul is going to argue in verse 4, look what he says. Therefore, we were buried with him. We were crucified with him. We died with him. We were buried with him, by, with him by baptism into death. Why? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. We died with him and we were buried with him that we might have a new life in Christ. Do you ever wonder uh, which one of you is the true you? Have you ever had that experience before? You, you wonder, which one is the, the real me? You know, because there are times when you read the scriptures and you serve other people, you love other people, you preach the gospel to other people, you pray, you feel so connected to God, and then in the next breath, the next day, the next week, you're tempted to look at porn on the internet, or you're tempted to get really angry at someone and be bitter towards them. You explode on your kids or your spouse. And then you wonder to yourself, which one is the real me? Is the real me the one that is drawn to pornography? Is the real me the one who explodes on my kids? Or is the real me the one who delights in knowing Christ? What's the answer to that question? The answer is that the one, the old you, that still 
love sin. That's not the real you. That you died and was buried. Uh, That you is going away. The true you is the one who is created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. The true you is the one who delights in serving God and others. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has, gone, has passed away, and see, the new has come. When you are justified by faith in Christ alone, you are given a new heart with new desires, new eyes. You gain a new standing where you stand in grace before God. You have a new family, the people of God, with God being your father, adopted into the family of God. You have a new kingdom. You have a new purpose and you have a new life. All of that is a gift of God's grace. You are new in Christ. You have a new life in Christ. Now, to help us think about this, I want you to imagine, silly illustration, but I want you to imagine that all non-Christians are cats. Do you you got that here? So all, all, so people are gone. No more human beings. There's there's just cats. All non-Christians are cats. And they do what cats do because they're cats. They have a cat nature. They take naps in the sun. They chase mice. They worship the devil. Just the standard basic stuff that we all know cats do. Why do they do it? They have a cat nature. Now imagine that that cat hears the gospel. Someone shares the gospel with that cat. And that cat receives Christ as Lord and Savior. By the grace of God, their eyes are open, they put their trust in Christ, and they are justified by faith. What does that mean? It means that they're forgiven, they're clothed in the righteousness of God, they have peace with God, they're made a new creation. And that new life is not a cleaned up cat life, a well-groomed cat life, that's not what it is. They are a new creation, and they become dolphins. That's your new creation. If you wanna put the picture of a dolphin up, I don't know, look how happy that dolphin looks. It's a new creation. And see, dolphins have a different nature than cats. They have new abilities, and they thrive in the ocean. Cats thrive in Adam. Cats thrive in the kingdom of darkness. Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. We've been taken out of the domain of darkness And we've been put into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of righteousness. Now, what happens when you take a cat and you throw that cat in the ocean? I don't recommend doing that, but if you take a cat, throw it in the ocean, what happens to that cat? Cat's not happy. Cat is not happy. I mean, it can swim. It can kind of put up with it a little bit for a little while, but it does, it really does not like being in the ocean. And what happens when you take a non-Christian and you put them in front of the Bible? What happens when you take a non-Christian and you put them in church, surrounded by the people of God, where Christ is honored and exalted? What happens when you take a non-Christian and they try to hang out with Christians who are following Christ? You can put up with it for a little while. You can deal with it in doses, just like a cat can get wet for a little bit. But deep down, eventually those cats, their eyes glaze over, and they dream about going back to their life, chasing mice, taking naps in the sun, doing what cats do. But what happens when you take a dolphin and you put the dolphin in the ocean? They thrive. They say, this is what I was made for. And in the same way, when someone becomes a Christian and they read the word of God, they say, oh my goodness, 
oh my goodness. I used to read the Bible and I didn't get anything out of it. Now I love the word of God. I used to think Christians were kind of weird, but now I love them. I used to not like going to church. Now I love going to church. I love being in fellowship because you love God. You, you're created, you're recreated in Christ. Ephesians 4.24 says, then to put on the new self. What's the new self like? Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That we are created to be like God. We are designed for righteousness. We are designed for holiness in Christ. This is why I tell people all the time, all the time, I tell people, I tell people, if you become a Christian, you need to understand it's going to ruin your life. Do you understand that? If you become a Christian, it will ruin your life. If you want to keep living like a cat, the worst thing you could do is become a dolphin. Dolphins are not good at being cats. They're, they're different. And I've talked to so many Christians over the years, dozens and dozens of people, many of you, and what you say is this. You say, I can't go back to my old life. Do you feel that way? You just feel, oh, I used to live that way. I used to live this certain way where I love this type of sin. I love doing this. I love doing this. But now, I can't do it anymore. I can't enjoy it anymore. What has happened to me? You became a Christian. You are a new creation in Christ. And see, if we're going to fight sin and live righteously, we must embrace who we are in Christ. We have to recognize our old life is gone. It's gone. God is calling us to a much better life, a higher life, a life that is designed to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, where we are conformed into his image slowly but surely over time. So embrace who you are. Embrace who you are in Christ. Number two, how do we fight sin? Learn to walk in your new life in Christ. Learn to walk in your new life in Christ. Romans 6, 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. So before Christ, before we came to know Christ, we were slaves to sin. That means that sin and the power of sin had shaped our lives, our habits. We, over the course of time, we shape, our lives will be shaped by our habits. And our habits are shaped by our sinful desires. And so we have all kinds of desires, all kinds of dreams, all kinds of goals, all kinds of patterns that don't honor Christ. But when you become a Christian, you're made a new creation. You're made new. You're forgiven. You're justified. You're at peace with God. But we often bring in these old habits of sin into our new life. And so even though we're set free, objectively we have been set free from the power of sin in our lives. We can still live like slaves. Even though we have power in Christ to live for righteousness, we can still live like slaves. And so what Paul is telling us to do, where he's going to get to in chapter 6 is, he's going to say this. He's going to say, be who you are in Christ. You are free. Live as free people. You don't have to sin anymore. Live for righteousness. Live for righteousness. But see, learning to live in the freedom that Christ has given us, it takes time. It's like learning a new language. It's learning a new culture. Learning new values, it takes time to learn this new life that we have in Christ. And so in our minds, we got to recognize, I am new in Christ, and I must learn to live as a new creation in Christ. How do you do that? Well, there are two steps. I'm going to give you two steps, and then next week, I'm going to give you a few more. Number one, let go of your old life. You must let go of your old life. 
It is easy for us to hold on to our old lives, our old habits, our old dreams, our old, our old patterns, and then we wonder, why don't I have freedom from sin? Why am I not changing? Well, maybe it's because you're holding on to your old life. Maybe you're holding on to your old corrupt desires. Romans 6.1 says, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Even this question, should we continue in sin, assumes that there's something good in sin. When you ask the question, should we, should we keep sinning? Well, you're, there's an assumption there. There's something life-giving in sin. And we know that sin, there are certain sins really bad. Like, don't smoke crack, everyone. Don't do it. We know it's bad. But that's not where the fight is at for most of us. We're not tempted to smoke crack. We're not, we're not tempted to, to go rob banks. Those are really bad things. And so we think, yeah, there are some sins we're not going to do, and they're really bad. But then there's some, there's some other sins that maybe aren't so bad, that are life-giving, and I kind of like them. And so we hold on to those. And so we, we yo-yo back and forth from our old life to our new life, our old life of sin and our new life and righteousness, and we just go back and forth. I remember when I was in middle school, uh, Burger King, uh, they had Whoppers for a dollar. Do you remember that? The good old days. Get a Whopper for a dollar. And I remember I had one. And immediately, I regretted it. Like, my stomach started hurting. And then it didn't go away. It, just, it didn't go away. So in the middle of the night, I, was, I ended up throwing up several times. I had some sort of food poisoning. And I remember, uh, as I was suffering in the middle of the night, I remember thinking to myself with deep conviction, I'm never going to have a Whopper again. Like, I won't. Ha- I'm done with Whoppers for the rest of my life. But then I started to feel better. And a few weeks went by, a few months went by. And Whoppers were a dollar again. And I said, I don't mind if I do. I, I, don't, I don't mind if I do. And I got to be a good steward of my resources, so a dollar for a Whopper, okay, that sounds like a good, a good deal. And I think, why does that happen? Well, our sin will make us sick. Like our sin will mess up our marriage. Our sin will mess up our relationships. Our, our, there'll be types of sin that we just, we, we, we put up with it, and then eventually it makes us sick. And we say, oh, what am I doing? I got to stop doing this. And then for a week, we were like, okay, I'm done with that. But then we start to feel better, and we go back to it. We just go right back to it. Why do we do this? Well, it's because we believe deep down in our souls there's something life-giving in our sinful behavior. There's something good in our old life. And Paul, Paul is asking us where, where we're going in Romans 6. He's asking us, lay it down. Don't let your old life govern you. Don't let your old life reign. Let your old life go. Paul asks this question in Romans 6.21, so what fruit was produced then from the things you're now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. What, what benefit do you derive? When you think about it and you're in your right mind, what benefit do you derive from living in sin? The answer is none, nothing, only shame and death. And so let it go. And so I want to ask you uh, the question this morning. Uh, are you holding on to your old life? Are you holding on to your old life, your old ways, your old patterns? Or have you embraced your new life in Christ? There really needs to be a decision made in your soul. My life is new. Like I am new in Christ. 
He, he is calling me to a new life, a better life, where he is Lord and master. And you have to embrace that in your soul. Say, I'm gonna, I don't care what I used to do. What I used to do doesn't govern my life anymore. Christ reigns. He's in charge. I do what he says. And you start living that way, your life will start changing. Number two, get baptized. Get baptized. Now, obviously, if you've already been baptized as, as a Christian, I'm not saying you need to get rebaptized, but look at uh, verse three. He says, or are you unaware that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the, de- from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Now, Paul is not saying there's some magical water that when you get into the water or go, or go, go under the water, uh, you are united with Christ through the actual water. That's not what he's saying. We are united to Christ by faith alone in Christ alone. And baptism is a symbol, an ordinance, and it is a powerful symbol of the realities of the gospel. It is a visible sign of invisible grace. And so the symbol of baptism means I died with Christ. Like when you go under the water, it's a picture. My old life, I'm dead. It's over. I was buried with him. It's a symbol that we have been raised to new life in Christ. My old life is over. My new life is in Christ. It's the sign that our sins have been forgiven, not through the water, but through the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been washed clean by Jesus. It's the sign that we've been united to the body of Christ. That just, just, just like in Adam, we are condemned, we're under wrath. So in Christ, we are made new, we are forgiven, where grace reigns. In that reign of grace, it unites us to the body of Christ. When we are united with Christ, we are united with his body. And so baptism does not save you. But for 2,000 years, baptism has been a decision point for millions of people. It's been an opportunity for people to embrace their new life in Christ, to publicly identify with Christ. It's to bear the symbol of being a believer in Jesus Christ. And I think our culture, our current culture, when they think about baptism, they say, since baptism doesn't save you, uh, therefore it's not important. It's not important in the Christian life. But I don't think that's what God thinks at all. Baptism does not save you, but it does mark you. It marks you as belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you know Christ, but you've not been baptized, I would encourage you to take that step of faith. We're not going to do baptisms this morning, don't worry. You have a little bit of time. But I would, enc- I would encourage you to consider uh, why have you not been baptized? Why have you not done this? Why have you not identified with Christ in, in your new life? It is a wonderful opportunity for believers. And so as a church, we want to we hold baptism in high regard, recognizing it's opportunity for someone to identify with Christ and God is marking his people as belonging to him. Now, if you're here, if you're here this morning and you're still wrestling with whether you're, you're going to give up your old life, someone asked me this after the, uh, the 915 service, uh, do you need to get baptized again? And the answer is no. You don't need, if you've already been baptized, you're a Christian, you've already been baptized, you don't need to get baptized again. But I do think if you're holding on to your old life uh, and you've already been baptized, you don't need to get baptized, but you, you do need to turn in your heart from your old life and embrace Christ. We want to be the type of church 
where we lift up Christ, where Christ and his work for us is at the center of everything that we do. And the more we live that way, the more God is honored and the more we, we are transformed by his grace. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you.